We're going to open our Bibles to Genesis 37. And I don't know about you guys, I'm always a little bothered when I see people make a series of choices that lead to certain results, and then they blame God for those results. I just have something in me, nothing against them, but it's like, don't blame God for that. God doesn't deserve that. Who knows that God has feelings? You know, he does have feelings. He's even capable of having his feelings hurt. And he created us to have feelings because we're made in his image because he had feelings first. Don't blame God for that. This is a sad story, but it's true. I was down at Hawthorne Park, and somebody told us as we were evangelizing that they got high, and they fell asleep with their foot still in Bear Creek. And this was in January. They passed out, you know. And when they woke up, they had frostbite, and this person now has a wheelchair because they had to have the foot amputated. Very sad story. Why did God do that to me? I'm sorry that happened to you, but you did that to you. <laughs> God doesn't want to, God, you know, I love God so much. He doesn't need, he doesn't deserve to be blamed for our mistakes. And uh, it's easier to notice when someone else does it than when we do it. So Lord, when I do that, I repent and I pray that I'll never do that again. Okay. You know, some people have problems with the idea of a loving God being a God who also disciplines. And I was just reading in Corinthians yesterday that he disciplines us, it says, to save us from condemnation. It's like he's trying to discipline you now so that he doesn't have to condemn you later. First uh, Corinthians 11.32, we are disciplined so that we won't be condemned with the world. So he's doing it for a good reason. How could a loving God discipline me? Well, he is actually doing it because he loves you. I'll tell you a quick story. And I know I've been told that I tell on myself too much. And this is the worst thing I've ever told you about myself. So as I tell you this, remember something in my defense that I was 20 years old. This was 22 years ago. So nobody do the math and figure out how old I am. But, okay, 22 years ago. So before you judge me too harshly, remember that. So I was in college, and believe it or not, I had a date. So I was on a date, if you can believe it. If you can ima- it's hard to imagine. But... I got asked out. She asked me out, and she, she, uh, it was an offer I couldn't refuse. It was jet skis on the Willamette River, followed by the Fellowship of the Ring, followed by dinner that she was going to cook for me. So you can't say no to that. So I drove out to where her friend's house. They had the jet skis, and she wanted me to drive the truck with a trailer. And I had never driven a truck with a trailer, so of course I pretend like I knew what I was doing. Oh, yeah, I can do that. And I actually managed to back it up into the, down the ramp perfectly. We got the jet skis in, and then she was going to wait with them while I went and parked the truck with the trailer. Well, I hit somebody's car in the parking lot with the, with the trailer. And I just thought to myself, you fool. You know, you just ruined this date. She's back there waiting by the jet skis, and her name is Julia. Julia's back there waiting, and look what you just did. You're going to have to, you know, find this person. You're going to have to, you know, figure this out, the insurance. And you don't even have your insurance card because you're driving someone else's truck. And, oh, this is just so embarrassing. So I got out, and I realized no one was around. Nobody saw it. So I told myself, okay, well, I, I don't have a piece of paper. I guess I'll go down to Julia. She has a purse. Girls always have purses somehow, even when they're jet skiing. She'll have some paper. I'll get some paper from her. So that's what I told myself. I walked down to the dock and the ramp. She goes, what took you so long? Hurry up. People are waiting for us. We need to clear the dock. You know, we need to get, these, we need to get in the water. Okay, so I guess I'll write them a note when we get back. So I told myself, well, when we got back, they were gone. And I felt so guilty for that. I just kept imagining 
the face of the guy when he came back and saw this big dent in the back of his SUV. And I could not get that thought out of my head. And I'll tell you, I think she had a really good time on this, on this date. But I had a miserable time because I, I was t- trying to pretend like I was happy and have, having fun. But really, I just felt horrible. And I kept thinking, what is God going to do to me? You know, I just sowed that seed of, leave, of hitting somebody and not leaving a note. There's no way God's going to let me get away with that. And I don't know, that might, this might be my vision of God. Some people feel happy with the idea that God will listen. Oh, God understands. I hear that. Oh, God understands. Are you sure? So we watched the Lord of the Rings, and we had dinner, and I went home, and I had this thought in my head, what is God going to do? Well, within a day or two, I realized that the computer I ordered on eBay for $1,000, which was a lot in 2020, 2000, 2000. So, yeah, remember when money was worth more? Like two years, two years ago. So, okay, so this computer that I ordered on eBay hadn't come. It was supposed to be here already. The next day passes, it's still not here. And I finally realized I'd been scammed. I've been scammed out of $1,000. And it was like, I almost felt relief. Like, oh, okay, is that it? I, I knew something was going to happen. Is that really all? Is that it, Lord? Okay. I was afraid you were going to do something really, really harsh. Like, I don't know, make me go bald or something. <laughs> but apparently that was it far as I knew at the time. Okay, so discipline makes sense to me. I'm always like, okay, Lord, I, rece- I, I don't say I received that, but I understand that. One time I asked him, can I just get away with that? Can you just not punish me for that? Um, this was, I remember I was back in the multipurpose room. This was during the 20s and 30s meeting we had like 10 years ago. I remember being back then, I was just thinking, can I just get away with that, Lord? And I heard this very clear, nope. <laughs> I'll forgive you, but you're going to reap what you sowed. And it's like, okay, you know, I respect that. He's right. We, we do re- reap what we sow. But what happens when something really harsh happens, some hardship, some trial, when we didn't do anything? We didn't deserve it, and it still happens. That's what we have a hard time with. We can accept the discipline side of it. That makes sense, Lord. I did it. You punished me. I'm not going to do that again. I repent. I move on. But what if we didn't do anything and it still happens? And so that's what we're going to find out with the story of Joseph today. So open to... Genesis 37, and I'm going to start with verse 3. I know Jeremiah preached on Joseph last month, but this story is good enough where you can have a couple sermons within a couple months, so it's okay. Uh, Genesis 37, 3. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. That's why my mom liked my little brother more than me. Okay. (laughs) And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Do you ever see somebody, and you know, whenever that person's talking about this other person, they cannot speak a kind word about them. I always hear this, I like so-and-so, but, and then they say all the, their list of grievances. <laughs> Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Do you think they liked that dream? Would, would you like having your sibling tell you that dream where you bowed down to them? Okay. He has another dream. This time the sun and the moon are there and 11 stars. Well, he has 11 brothers, so it's not hard to interpret that dream. And these stars and the, the sun and the moon all bow down to him. And he tells his dad this time, and his dad rebukes him, his dad who loves him especially. Will your mother and I really bow down to you? But he also tells his brother, and it says they hated him all the more. 
So what's the situation here? What's the big picture? I want to zoom way back and look at the huge, big picture situation right now. So God had a plan for Joseph. When we've read all of Genesis, we see God had a big plan for Joseph. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And Romans 11.29, For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. He won't take them back. God has gifts and calling for you that are irrevocable. He will never take them back. That's a good promise. So his plan for Joseph, we know, because we read the story, was that he would be the ruler of all Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And God was going to use him to do a great work. There was going to be a seven-year famine in the land. And I can tell you from my study of history, I, I did a study of the uh, Irish potato blight in the 1850s. And one thing that I read was people can usually survive the first year of a famine. They have a little body weight that they lose. They scrimp and scrape. They make every calorie count. Maybe the local cat goes missing. Uh, not even joking with that one. But they find a way not to starve to death the first year. The second year is where a famine really starts causing actual deaths from starvation. And in Ireland at the time, that's why so many people came to the United States, because people were actually dying by the like hundreds of thousands in Ireland because they were starving to death. Very sad. And this was, has been common throughout history. I know in our time the problem we have is too much food, and we're always trying to not eat so much. But back then it was not enough food. So this was a seven-year famine. Not a one-year, not a two-year, seven years. You're talking about an extinction-level event. Whole countries would have been wiped out. Egypt, the whole region. And God had a plan for Joseph to save those people. And that, that included his brothers, his father. These are the, the fathers of the Jewish race. So without them, there would be no Jesus, there would be no salvation. So I think we can agree that Joseph had an important calling. Now this is where things get interesting in our lives and in Joseph's life. Because God's plans, which are good and perfect, smack into what? Human sin, human free will. It's never God's will for sin to take place. He never causes it and he never desires it. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, God cannot be false to himself. It doesn't say he won't be false. It says he can't. I know we say there's a, God, with God nothing is impossible. However, he cannot cause you to sin because that's a betrayal of himself. He won't do it. He never caused anyone to sin against you. If you've been sinned against in your life, he didn't want that to happen. He hated that that happened to you. He didn't cause that. But he also gives us a real choice to do good or bad. So in heaven, his will is always done, and we're all looking forward to seeing a world where his will is always done. But for reasons best known to himself, for the time being on earth, his will is not always done. Evil happens, people choose to rebel, disobey, and so on. And what's more, the enemy is here, and he's dedicated his life to messing up God's plans for you. That's the situation. So where does all this come into the story of Joseph? Well, put simply, Joseph appears like Job to have been a special target. He first had an unbelievably bad experience of being beaten by his brothers and thrown into a pit. Then he was sold into slavery. Then he was falsely accused and sent to prison. And in prison, he was promised by someone who he had helped, the cupbearer, that I won't forget you. And then the cupbearer forgot about him. An almost unbelievable series of injustices and sins by other people against him took place. And none of them were God's plan. God didn't want his brothers to sin against him. He didn't want Potiphar's wife to lie about him. He didn't want any of that. 
I believe the first and maybe the most destructive sin that was committed against Joseph and may have damaged God's plan for him was actually his father Jacob. The favoritism that Jacob showed to Joseph it's not good for a, a teenage boy to be by far the favorite kid, to be treated like the princeling. You know, a lot of parents, when they have a favorite, they at least try to hide it. And I think my parents did a really good job of trying to hide it. We could, I could tell, but they did a good job. I'm just kidding. Sorry, Dad, just joking. But Jacob just gives him the special ornamented robe. And it's like, sorry, guys, he's my favorite. Sorry, you don't get it, he does. That's not the best thing for a father to do. And... I believe, I may be reading into it, but I think I can detect some pride in, in Joseph. Because this is a smart kid. It says that Joseph was very bright. That's why everyone always put him in charge of everything. But when he had the first dream that, where they bowed down to him, he went and told his brothers. First thing. Now, a humble person might think, I should pray about this. Maybe don't go bragging to my older brothers about this. Now, granted, he's 17 years old, and 17-year-old boys aren't the most sensitive group as, as a group. You know, That's why insurance rates are so high for that group. But he saw their reaction the first time. He knew that they scorned him. And what happened the next time he had a dream? He goes straight to his brothers and tells them the exact same thing again. He knew exactly what he was doing. And I suggest to you that 17-year-old Joseph was not the most humble of people. And he'd been treated like a prince all his life, so how could he be? His father did great damage to him by the favoritism. And that was actually a sin against him. Jacob did the same thing with his wives. He caused great grief by showing favoritism to Rachel against Leah. And it, it caused grief there, and then he did the same thing with his sons. He never really learned his lesson on that. Okay, so Joseph has some pride going on. So what's the worst thing for Joseph in terms of God's plan for his life? I don't believe that God ever lets circumstances damage his plan for our lives. It's too easy for God to manage circumstances. He's not going to let this problem or that problem block his plan for your life. But our unbelief, our rebellion, our sin, you better believe that that can get in the way. That can slow it down. And he's always going to be trying to reroute you like, like your GPS to get you there. But we can make wrong turns, and he'll let us do it, can't we? So in short, Jacob did great harm to his son by openly preferring him over his brothers, and that caused some, some pride. You might even say that Jacob... Well, a normal kid would have been a spoiled brat under those circumstances. So was Joseph a spoiled brat? I don't know. But that would have been a normal thing to, to be if you're, the, if you're the favorite. So here's where the, we see the greatness of God and his unfathomable wisdom. So while Satan used the malice of his brothers, Potiphar's wife, and so on, to try to destroy Joseph's life and God's plan for Joseph, God actually used that malice to cause his plan for Joseph to come true. He caused the very thing that Satan used to destroy Joseph. God used those things to make the, the plan come true. And the same thing happened with Jesus. Satan thought he was destroying Jesus' ministry by sending him to the cross. And the very thing that he did caused the ministry to come to fruition. He never learns, does he? So you know the story of Joseph. The, he met the cupbearer in prison. He correctly interpreted his dream. And the cupbearer, two years later, eventually got around to remembering him. And he told Pharaoh about Joseph. And the very day that Pharaoh met Joseph, Joseph was made the ruler of all Egypt. It's possible that if Joseph had never been sold into slavery, his pride as the family prince may have prevented him from ever realizing his destiny. 
But God used Joseph's 13 years. It says he was 30 years old when he finally got out of prison. 13 years as a slave and then as a prisoner to do a work on the inside, which prepared him on the inside to be a man of character who was ready to receive his destiny. In other words, God used Satan's attack to bring about the very thing Satan was trying to destroy. I love that God can do that. If he did it for Joseph, he can do it for you. God has a destiny for you. That destiny has been yours from birth or earlier. It is a destiny that God will not revoke and, in fact, is always trying to bring about. Every trial that God has allowed in your life, every difficulty and hardship, even the worst thing, yes, even that thing, God allowed because he wants to use it to bring about your destiny in your life. You know, the easy times, we love the easy times, the oases of life, but everything is just perfect. And those are good things, and they're sent from God, and they're meant to be received with gratitude. But the trials, the times when, like Joseph, you're beaten and thrown into a pit by the people closest to you. The times of long suffering amidst hardship. Those are the times that mold us into men and women capable of receiving our destiny. Only in trials do we learn that we can't do it without him. It's very difficult to learn to rely on God when everything is easy. Trials teach us to hope in his promises, no matter how impossible the circumstances may seem. We can't learn to persevere in hope when we already have everything we want. Now, I want to talk about those trying circumstances. I hope you'll understand something. The circumstances themselves are nothing to God. They're not hard for him. God can take a prisoner and make them the ruler of Egypt in one day. What slows God down in our lives is, I hate to say this, it's actually us. He's doing a work in us that sometimes slows down because we're, we can be slow learners. He won't lead us into our destiny until we're ready to handle it. Because that doesn't do us any good. If, he, if God had tried to give 17-year-old, princeling, arrogant Joseph the rulership of Egypt, his pride would have gotten in the way. He would have messed it up. He had to go through those hardships before he was ready. Uh, and God is saying to us in the midst of our circumstances, I need you to trust me right now. And sometimes we're shouting at him, don't you see the storm? Wake up. Why are you napping? The storm is so easy for God. I wish we could realize how easy it is. It's you and me he's really working on. This flies in the face of everything that we and our emotions scream at us. But I'm saying to you today, don't be too eager for your trial to be over right now. I know this goes against everything you're, you might be feeling. But if we really want to learn from this book, we have to know that the trial itself is the easy part from God's perspective. Don't be so worried about the trial that you miss out on what he has for you in the midst of the trial. I know it sounds crazy. It flies in the face of the flesh, which always wants ease, doesn't it? You know, water takes the path of least resistance, always tries to take the path of least resistance. You know, our flesh is 70% water. That's why we always want the easiest route. We love, oh, I just, Lord, just make it easy for me. We always pray prayers like that. And sometimes he answers those prayers. And other times he lets things happen where we have to rely on him. And when we see things, that, when we see that sometimes it seems like, why does that person have it so easy, Lord? 
Well, look at them. They just go from one thing to the other, and it's always easy for them. Why can't I have that? And we can be tempted to feel envious. So much for the wisdom of this world. We should never envy. But if we were to envy anybody, don't envy the person who has it easy. This is who you should envy if you were going to envy anybody. Don't envy, but this is who it should be if you, if you were to. The person who has a hardship who turns to God in the midst of it. There's no one better off. Thank you, Bobby. There's no one better off in this world. There's no one better off in this world than the man or woman facing an impossible circumstance who strengthens himself in the Lord in the midst of it. So don't envy, but if you were, envy the person who wants Envy the person who seeks the face of God when the situation seems impossible. And if you think that's crazy, I'm not going to envy someone who has a hardship. Well, if I'm crazy, it's because this book is crazy first. (laughs) You know, the brother of Jesus wrote a letter, James. The very first thing he wrote after the salutation, the very first message he had for us after the greeting, James 1-2. This might be the craziest verse in the whole Bible. Are you ready? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of many kinds. What? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. You know, we're, we're all used to hearing, oh, find peace in God when something goes wrong. Put your faith in him and hope that he'll fix it. Those are all good messages. Consider it pure joy when things go wrong. James, James, James. Really is an interesting book, isn't it? <laughs> it might be the craziest verse in the whole Bible, but crazy in a good way. Well, okay. The craziest verse is the one where Solomon married 700 wives and 300 concubines. I don't know how he ever had any energy to write all those Proverbs. And then at the very end, he writes, A wife of good character, who can find? Like, you married 700 women, you didn't find one? Hmm. Don't be so desperate for your trial to come to an end. Be desperate, but be desperate to find the presence of God in the middle of it. Be desperate to find the face of God in the middle of what you're going through or what you went through. Maybe it's over, but you still have wounds left over from that, and you don't know why God let that happen, and you don't see the good of it yet. Be desperate to find the voice of God in that. Hurry up to find God now in the middle of it. We're always in a hurry to get out of the trial. Just relax in the trial, but hurry up to find the face of God in that. Don't waste another day fretting about something that's so easy for God to handle. You know the joy and peace that we can know when times are easy? Those are good, and we all love those times. They're a gift from God, and like I said, we should receive them with gratitude. But the joy and peace we can know when we have to look to God in the midst of a hardship, those are supernatural. And when we experience that joy and that peace, we're bringing heaven to earth. And God is using that to make us into the mighty men and women who are ready to receive our calling. So what can we say about Joseph in the middle of his trials? I want to look back with you and finish up this story. What did he do? Well, there's this. You know he had the dreams from God. He had the dream that he would be bowed down to. He had a dream. God gave him two dreams where he would be a ruler. And Joseph can interpret dreams. He has a gift of interpretation. He knew exactly what these dreams meant. And what was the result of those dreams? Well, he told his brothers. 
They got mad, and they sold him into slavery. Now, for all those 13 years, between 17 and 30, what was running through his mind? God, why did you give me those dreams? Because now look what happened. I told my brothers, and they sold me into slavery. The very thing that you promised me, rulership, I got the opposite of that, slavery. Why did you give me those dreams? I've had enough of you in your dreams. No more dreams. He could have become very bitter. It would have been a rational, very human thing to do. It wouldn't have been right, but it would have been very normal. Genesis 40. Joseph is in prison with Pharaoh's cupbearers. He's 30 years old. Now it's been a long trial. And he's there with the cupbearer and the baker. And this happens in verse 6. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered. But there's no one to interpret them. Now, did Joseph say, oh, don't tell me about dreams. I know all about God and dreams. Walk away. This is what he said. Verse 8. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. You see the tenderness there? You see that he hadn't given up on his love and trust of God, even in the midst of this trial. I just love that that was his reaction. I find that so moving. Despite all those years of suffering, despite apparently dashed hopes of someday being a ruler, he's still tender-hearted towards God. He still believes in the dreams God gave him. So his years of hardship had actually prepared him to receive his destiny. The hardships actually undid the damage caused by his father's spoiling of him. He's a humble man now. He's 30 years old and he's ready. But here's the key for Joseph. Through all that, he kept a tender heart towards God. That's why he was ready. You know, we should always obey scripture. But if you don't rejoice because of a hardship, you're not alone. In fact, I can't think of anyone who's ever gone through a hardship who's rejoiced. I've never seen it, honestly. It must be possible. I know we can put our faith in God through it and put our hope in him through it, but to rejoice, is that's a supernatural reaction. However, we can at least try. And sometimes like a toddler learning to walk, the trying is the thing that God wants from us. But there is one thing we can definitely do right now, every one of you, no matter where you are in your spiritual maturity, and that's this. If we stop fretting about our hardships and take our eyes off those seemingly impossible circumstances, And seek the face of God. Seek the voice of God. Find the presence of God. It's very findable. Is that a word? It's there. He's waiting. It's right there. It's just out of sight if you don't see it yet. He will use the trial to make you the kind of man and the kind of woman who is ready to receive your full destiny. I'm going to pray for you now that you'll do that. Okay. Thank you, Jesus, for everyone here. Thank you that you have plans for them that were yours for them from the moment of birth. And you will not revoke your calling or your gifts. And whatever hardships the enemy has thrown at them and this fallen world has thrown at them and sins that have been committed against them that you didn't cause and you didn't desire, I pray that you will turn those to their good. And I pray that you will use those like Joseph to make them the kind of men and women who are in a place inwardly where they can receive their full destiny in you so we actually do rejoice supernaturally right now we rejoice 
in that trial and that hardship. We rejoice and we thank you in advance that you are a good God who is going to use that for our benefit and your glory. Amen. That's it. Thank you, David, and thank you, God, for being that kind of God. Stand. Stand up. If you'd like prayer for healing, body, soul, or spirit, I would encourage you in the next few minutes to come to the altar. We'll have a team here to receive in faith your need and pray for God's blessing. We'll believe with you expectation for a touch from Jesus on your life. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Praise his name. Praise his name. Brenda's watching the the uh, service from home, and she said, she texted me and said, be sure to tell everybody that Melissa Kate will be in the lobby for the those wanting to sign up for the ladies' retreat. <laughs> I told you she was passionate about this. <laughs> so, see, I, I did it, dear. <laughs> so, just put your hands on your heart, please. Thank you for your good work in us. Thank you, God, that so much for each one of us, you've stirred us to set our affections on the things above, not in the things of this world. We praise you, God, that you're the kind of God that turns every sorrow into a happy morning, a happy day. Every difficulty you turn for our good. We praise you that Romans 8.28 will never be taken out of the Bible. Hallelujah. All things are working together for our good. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Amen. So if you'd like to come forward for prayer, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, this is your day to get that started. Get healed up spiritually today, okay? Get that, get that nailed down. Get that certainty happening. We have teams here at the altar to pray. God bless you as you go. Thank you for being with us. We love you and uh, wish you a very happy day today.